So we are going to take a break from going through a book of the Bible and go through some topical studies. Topical studies are useful because there are certain things that you go through in high school that it's kind of hard for people to understand that are not in high school. So we figure, how can we talk about these certain issues, these things that you guys go through in a way that's faithful to teach the Bible, but also able to hit some of those big questions you guys have. One of those big questions is about dating and relationships and marriage. So that's what we're going to do over the next three weeks. We're going to be talking about dating. So all of you guys I know are probably on the edge of your toes, excited to hear about who you're going to date after this three-week series is over. Listen, they talk about ring by spring. We're going to have ring by three messages. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Your parents will be very mad at me if you get married at the end of this series. That'd be terrible, actually, because you're only teenagers. Probably illegal. So um, if you want to keep track and you're very organized, kind of what we're doing over the next three weeks is tonight we're going to talk about the what what is dating? What is dating for? Next week, we're going to talk about the who. What kind of person should you be looking to enter in a relationship with? What kind of person should you be looking to marry? And the week after that, we're going to be talking about what does a godly relationship, dating relationship, look like? Now, here's a disclaimer. There is nothing in the Bible about dating. So how in the world am I going to talk about dating? Well, we're going to first address the cultural principles thrown out to us by the world, and we're going to address it and say, like, what does the Bible have to say about that? Because maybe there's certain things that the culture says that we can say, well, maybe the Bible doesn't say anything specific about dating, but it does say certain things about certain principles that the world teaches us, and we can counteract that with Scripture. So we'll be jumping around. Tonight is not really a Bible study, but once again, we're going to bring out those uh, principles and counteract them. It's almost like an apologetics message, if anything, okay? teaching. So Matthew chapter 6, we're just going to read verses 25 to 34. We'll pray and we'll discuss some of these things. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. This is dating series part one. If you like the title messages, you can call this one, Is Dating Dated? Is dating dated? Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, Jesus says. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is, and tomorrow is thrown in an oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But, and here's your key verse, seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Therefore, do not be, worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Lord, help us not to worry about the future, knowing that you got control of all the circumstances. We learned about that in the book of Daniel. You are sovereign over the universe, over eternity, over time. And we pray, Lord, that you teach us tonight how to trust in you, not rely on our own understanding, but acknowledge that you are king, and we submit all of our ways to you, knowing that you're a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what I'm not going to do is teach a typical youth pastor message which is something like, don't date in high school because you're in high school and that's stupid. You know, that's not what I'm going to do. And also, I don't think that convinces anybody. If I was up here and just ranting at you on why you shouldn't date, I don't think anyone would care. Even the people that like me, I don't think you would care. You'd be like, but okay, but like, but if you, if you have strong feelings and you feel like it's right, your parents are okay with it, why wouldn't I do it? So I'm not necessarily about like against dating per se in high school. But I'm going to give you some principles that you can take home for yourself to decipher whether or not the relationship you're currently in or currently pursuing is glorifying to the Lord. That's what we want to talk about. First of all, though, I want to talk about this passage I just read. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to talk about it in depth. But I want to follow up with the thought that Jesus is saying to his believers, to his disciples, that listen, like, You don't have to worry about the minuscule things. And some of these things you would say are not minuscule. Like eating is important. What you're going to wear is important. All those things are important. But your heavenly father knows that you need these things and he's going to provide for you. Instead, think about obedience, following Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God. Because if we put these things that are secondary things above the kingdom of God, all of our lives are going to be thrown out of loop. That's the whole thought is that so many people, especially in our society today, are wrapped up in, I need to get married, I need to be dating someone, I need to be in a relationship. And people center their entire lives around, if I only got married, if I only was in a relationship, if only I wasn't single anymore. And this is how people frame their day, frame every thought, frame everything that they do is under whether or not you are in a relationship. Or if you're in a relationship, is this the best relationship? You're always thinking about escalating. You're always thinking about other things. And what God is saying is whatever it is that you think about, all of it should be subjected to Jesus. And not just because he says so, but actually it's better for your joy as well. It's better for the flourishing of his kingdom. Think about this, okay? In the book of Malachi, it talks about how God made the two one, one man, one woman, to be together for the rest of their lives, committed in that relationship. And why did he do that? Well, one of the reasons Malachi tells us is because God seeks godly offspring. Now, I know that a lot of people may get married and not have kids. Totally cool with that. But here's the principle that's so important. What our world is telling us today is do what feels right. If you like somebody, you should ask them out. If your heart is is kind of given over to somebody, you should pursue that person. If feelings are stirred up, you should follow those feelings. Follow your heart. That's what the world tells us, right? So we pursue our own personal joy over the person next to us. And what does that do? Well, here's what it does. I'll I'll tell you really quickly. What it does is it makes everybody miserable except us for a season, and then we become miserable too. Isn't it true that families are torn apart by selfishness 
And some of you know those people, some of you come from those families where the dad, the mom was completely selfish, pursued their own passions, right? It's okay when we do it. It's okay to say like, well, I'd like that girl today, but I don't like that girl tomorrow. And you know what? I was wanting to pursue that. I don't really feel that way anymore. You know, I fell out of love. It's okay when we feel that way, but when parents do that, when family units do that, it throws everything apart, doesn't it? And we can see that this completely can destroy and, and, and really hurt some people. And so for us, we have to ask ourselves, why are we the exception to the rule? And if you look at the culture around us, statistics show that more, more and more people are actually living single and being more miserable. They're not getting married. People are, are running away from that institution altogether because they're looking for their own self-fulfillment and it's not possible with what God, without God instituted marriage. That's the whole point of this evening is to show that God's way is actually better. He has plans for you. He's not against your joy. He's actually for your joy. And if we would listen to him, we would protect ourselves and actually find the most fulfilling relationship in something that the world does not know, which is called self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. To say, I'm going to give myself over to this person even at the cost of my own temporary pleasure. Even if that means that I'm going to suffer, I'm going to serve this person because it's actually more rewarding in the long run to do that. This is a concept that the world doesn't know, but if it did know, it would realize that it is far better. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and the New Living Translation says this. Maybe you've heard it before, but it's worth saying again. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So what's that saying? You have a heart, right? And we, we know that this uh, understanding in the Old Testament was that your heart, actually the Jewish thought was that it was in your intestines. Kind of weird. But we still talk about this today when we say things like, I had a gut feeling, right? I had butterflies in my stomach. Well, they just said like your heart is in your intestines. Kind of weird, but you get the picture. And so what it's saying here is that we are supposed to be guarding our heart, guarding ourselves guarding the decisions that we make because it's going to determine the course of your life. We're supposed to be protecting ourselves, not making decisions out of gut decisions, but actually asking ourselves, what are we called to do as followers of Jesus? There's a pastor named Tim Keller who I watched a video a couple years ago, which like rocked me. And in the video, he talks about talking and preaching, teaching to the heart. And he talks about how there is a Greek mentality way back in Jesus' day, which said this, you are what you think. You are what you think. And so because Greek philosophers were so about their thoughts, they said the flesh is evil, the body is evil. If you have feelings, that's actually evil too. So deny all fleshly desires, deny all feelings. Instead, you have to think. If you think really hard, you'll be able to escape the flesh, escape the passions, and be able to do what is right. That's what the Greek thought was. In modern day, it's not you are what you think. It is you are what you feel. And that's what we see all the time, right? Follow your heart. Do what you love. If, uh, if, you, if it feels right, it can't be wrong. This is what uh, people are doing is raising the importance of the individual over the importance of the community, especially the family of God. But what Tim Keller pointed out is it's not what you are not what you think and you are not what you feel. But the truth is you are what you trust in. This is biblical. 
The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, where you invest your heart, where you invest your time, your actions, your feelings actually will follow as well. Your heart, you will become what you trust in. If you trust in the Lord, you'll become more like him. So here's the warning. Because in our day and age, so many people are just tossing their hearts left and right, not really regarding or thinking about it. They're just doing it because they, they feel it. Uh, David M. Buss has this book called The Evolution of Love, and he has this quote. He says, Hearts broken from love lost rate among the most stressful life events a person can experience, exceeded in psychological pain only by horrific events such as a child dying. This is why it's so important for us to talk about because people know when you're in a relationship and you break up, it can be devastating, right? I mean, how many people actually walk away from the church altogether because of a breakup? Because it's just too painful to be in the same room anymore, to be in the same church. This is why it's so important that we don't jump into a relationship just because we feel like it, because we might easily jump out of it and wind up with a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Okay. So I'm going to get a little technical here, but I think you'll be able to follow along because it's not like heady. It's just some things that we need to clarify before we really talk about what dating is for. We need to talk about what is dating. What is dating? Okay. So in the dictionary, dating is defined as this. A social appointment, engagement, or occasion arranged beforehand with another person. Okay. That's what the, the dictionary says. So you went out to coffee with somebody alone. You didn't think it was a date. Guess what? You dated them, according to the dictionary, okay? I don't know. Just look at the dictionary. You can disagree with me if you want. Here's the definition of courting. Some people like that term, okay? Here's the definition of courting in the dictionary. I don't, I don't even know if unbelievers use that term, but here you go. They're so burned by the word dating, dating that they want to use a different word. So courting, according to the dictionary, is to seek the affections of or to woo, of animals, it means this, <laughs> to attempt to attract a mate by engaging in certain species-specific behaviors. Don't know what that would be for humans, but that would be courting. Oh, look, they're courting. How do you know? Because that's what animals do. Okay. So many Christians are afraid of the term dating, but here's the problem, okay? Here's the problem I have when people just say, like, oh, we're not dating. We're just friends. If it quacks like a duck... It looks like a duck. It's got feathers. Just call it a duck. Why are you going to be all weird? Like some people are like, oh, we're just talking. We're just friends or whatever. And it's just like so confusing and stressful for me, let alone your parents, right? Like you text all the time. You always hang out alone. You're like buddy, buddy. And everybody knows that you're something, but you're just not willing to call it dating. Just say something so that people can actually hold you accountable. That's what I'm asking, okay? So... If you're not sure if you're dating, I would ask this question. This is not like an overarc. This doesn't mean that you're dating, okay? But if you're just saying like, I thought we we're just friends, but maybe we're something more. Ask yourself this question. If tomorrow that person that you're talking to, you're just friends with, decided to tomorrow date somebody else, would you feel betrayed? Would you be angry? Would you feel jealous? Doesn't necessarily mean that you're in a relationship right now. I'm just saying like, are you willing to say you're just friends? Because just friends should be happy the moment that they uh, that person joins in a different relationship. They shouldn't feel like, I can't believe I felt led on. You shouldn't, right? Because you said that you're just friends. So you have to ask yourself, 
what would cause me to feel like there is actually something more here, okay? So many refuse the title and wind up with two problems, okay? If you don't call it dating, you don't call it courting, you don't call it whatever, you're, you're just friends, what happens when you break up? You have two things. Number one, you have, the, you have the pain of a breakup, and you also have the pain of confusion of not really even know if whether or not you broke up. You say, like, well, I don't know what we did, but this just hurts, so I don't even know. Were we dating? I don't know. That person talks to me. Why is she ignoring me? Why isn't he talking to me as much as he used to? These are the questions that happen when you are leading each other on. You're not willing to actually call it for what it is. So this is very important. I don't think that you physically have to go on dates alone in order to be dating. How do I know that? Because if that was true, then long-distance relationships would not be possible, right? Okay? So some people say, like, well, we've never been on a date alone, and therefore we're not dating. But you might actually be dating because people in long-distance relationships do the same thing. So here's my definition of dating. You can take or leave it. This is what I think helps clarify whether or not you are in one of these relationships, okay? My definition of dating is, you might want to write this down, a mutual exclusive relationship for the purpose of deeper intimacy. I'll break it down, don't worry. A mutual exclusive relationship for the purpose of deeper intimacy. Now, notice that I did not sanitize that, uh, that definition for Christians and saying like, this is the Christian dating. I'm just saying like dating in general. Whether you're a non-believer, you're a believer, here's what I think is a good summation of what dating in our culture is. Because the deeper intimacy, so first of all, it's mutual, okay? It's not one-sided. It's not like you're having, having this weird stalker relationship where you're like, like a person and you think that you're dating them. You're not, okay? It has to be mutual, first of all. Then exclusive, you're not seeing anybody else. It's just between you two. It's understood that you're not talking to other people the same way that you're talking to each other. And the purpose of this relationship is deeper intimacy. Now, that deeper intimacy could be as simple as we just want to get to know one another a little bit better. Deeper intimacy could be physical. It could be whatever else. So I'm letting that definition be both for believers or non-believers, okay? You're looking to escalate and do it together and to do it without seeing anybody else. So... That's why it's important not to be flirting in ignorance. This is something that I really want to emphasize for the guys, okay? So girls, be careful because some guys, what they'll do is they won't actually be willing to date you. They won't actually be willing to actually define what it is that they're doing because they don't want to have that commitment. They want to be loose. They want to be able to do whatever they want. They don't want to be tied down. So be careful when... Guys are messaging you. They're liking your stuff on Instagram or Snapchat or you know what it is. I don't have to define what it is. But when people are treating you a certain way, don't immediately give in, okay, especially you ladies. If guys are snapping you 24-7 and you're not dating them or whatever, be careful about always reciprocating. Be careful because what we want to do is we want to feel valued and esteemed, and it's really important that we resist that until we know that we're ready to be in a relationship, an exclusive mutual relationship that actually glorifies the Lord. So guys, here's what we should be doing. First Timothy 5.2. 
Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. So here's a good rule of thumb. If you as a guy would not mess with your sister's emotions, then why would you mess with your sister in Christ's emotions? What we need to be doing is protecting them. What we should be aiming for is treating them even in a dating relationship in such a way that we are proud if the relationship broke off to be able to look their future husband in the, in the eyes and say, you know what, I protected them up until this point. I'm not saying you actually have to do that. That might be a little awkward. But the whole thought is that you're not taking anything away from them. You're only giving. As Christians, this is what we should be doing all the time, right? Even if you're on a date, it's never to say, like, I want something from you. It's all about I want to share Jesus' life with you. Whether we're friends, whether we're more than friends, it doesn't really matter because I want to show everybody love. Why is it that we feel like as soon as we're dating, now it's all about you? It shouldn't be so, especially in the church. So that's what dating is. Now, what is the purpose of dating? The why. Why date? Well, once again, dating is a cultural and not biblical term. Some cultures actually have arranged marriages. Can you imagine that happening? Just like, uh, you two, um, you're going to be married in about 10 years. Good luck. Right? Like, it could either be, like, the worst thing ever or, like, the best thing ever. Like, man, I totally lucked out, you know, and, like, the other person stuck or something. But the Bible sees instead two types of people, single people and married people. That's it. There is no dating in the Bible. You're not going to find it. So marriage is the lifelong commitment before the Lord, and dating is the short-term commitment to see if a God-pleasing marriage is possible. This is what we as believers should be doing. Since the Bible only sees two categories, either you're single and glorifying God or you're married and glorifying God, that must mean that if we are going to give in to the culture, which I don't think it's, you know, anything wrong with in this instance, to be able to uh, dive into the cultural expectations of us, if we're going to do that, we need to make sure that it's aiming for what God does recognize, which is marriage. So for the Christian, we need to have that in mind. Not in a creepy way, not saying like you're dating somebody and tomorrow you're like, so do you want to get married? No, that's like really weird. Don't do that. You'll freak them out. But you know that you're aiming towards marriage and the second that it's not pleasing to the Lord, the second that you recognize that this is not someone that you want to be married to for the rest of your life, that you would look for a way to be able to end it peacefully and lovingly. So let's stop for a second and ask the question, why? Why is it you can't just date for fun? Because maybe some people are like, that sounds so serious, like commitment and marriage. Oh, my gosh. Here's why I could say with confidence, it's you can't just date for fun. Because it's impossible to commit yourself to something without investing your heart in it as well. In other words, investment, uh, investment, that's not a word at all. <laughs> I said it with confidence though, right? <laughs> commitment equals Investment. Investment. You can write that one down. That was a mistake. When you, this is what Jesus said, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'll give you an illustration. So, like, when I was in high school, I loved photography. And I would 
buy a camera. I saw Dave Duquesne bought a camera. I bought a camera. We take photos together. It was a lot of fun. And then people are saying, hey, I want you to shoot my band. I want you to take pictures for this wedding. I want you to, and they were asking me to do stuff for money. And suddenly I was like, well, I guess if people are asking me, and I guess I could make some money from it, maybe this is something I should do for a living. The more time you invest in something, the more your heart follows, and you ask yourself, what role does this thing play in my life? How many of us that play video games, I don't play video games anymore. I don't actually know if this is the same. This may, so you got to tell me if this illustration totally doesn't work because I'm like 10 years behind. Did anyone, maybe when you're little, play a video game for hours and hours, especially an RPG, and then like your memory card gets wiped or like your player file gets wiped? Anybody? Anybody? It's the worst feeling ever. Your heart sinks and you just want to die, right? You're thinking like, I spent 60 hours of my life on this game. I spent 60 days of my life on this game, and it all just got wiped out, right? It's the worst feeling in the world because you're thinking of the investment. So it's the same when you are making this commitment. And when you're committing yourself to your relationship, you can't just say, eh, I'm just going to do it for fun and stop and stop caring about this. You're going to be ripping your heart out with each and every person unless you actually don't care about them at all, right, which is impossible. So... It's impossible to be in a relationship without someone getting hurt if you broke up. I mean, even think about this, right? Like, you have really good friends, and the friendship gets a little rift in it, or a friendship ends, and you're hurting with a regular friendship. And why would it not be even worse with uh, a loving, romantic relationship? That's why Song of Solomon 8.4 says, Do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. So, I'm going to ask the famous question that my youth pastor asked me when I was in high school. He didn't remember the question, but I reminded him this question was a thing. One of the most important questions you can ask yourself before you're ready to date someone is, if you want to know, are you ready to date somebody, ask yourself this question. Why can't you just be friends? Why can't you just be friends? And the immediate answer that pops in your head when I was 15 was, well, you can't really make out with your friends. That'd be really awkward, right? Here's the thing, and that shows us where our motives are. A lot of times it's to be physical, it's because we want to be cuddled or we want to be hugged or we want that kind of physical relationship or maybe it's even just knowing in status or people liking us or having different friend groups. We have all these different motivations and we have to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm looking for? In this relationship, C.S. Lewis describes friendship as two people walking side by side towards a common goal. I like that definition of friendship. So if that's all that you are, why not just be friends? Why do you have to make it a thing? Why do you have to make it a relationship? But then that begs the next question. Can women and men be just friends? Dun, dun, dun. Who knows? <laughs> I remember seeing a, a video on YouTube like years back where like a guy was interviewing a whole bunch of different guys and girls on campus. First, he interviewed all the girls and said, do you think that men and women can just be friends? And everyone was like, oh, yeah, totally. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then he interviewed all the guys. All the guys were like, no way. Totally not. And then like he'd interview like a guy and a girl together and the girl would be like, yep, totally. And then he's like, no. Nah. And they're like, aren't we just friends? And he's like, uh. <laughs> It's like super weird. 
So can men and women be just friends? I'll give you the quick answer because we need to keep moving. The answer is yes, okay, yes. Especially because the Bible expects it, right? It says to treat younger sisters, guys, as younger women, as sisters with all purity. So it expects a community, a church community, to be one where people can be safe, can be vulnerable, can be loving, and not always have to feel like you're, you're entering into some kind of like binding romantic relationship, okay? So I would say Christians have the obligation to God and to other people to be loving, selfless to one another, regardless of who they are, and treat them with all purity. Not looking to take from them, but to give to them. So I would say be careful because especially whether or not you're a Christian or not, these things happen, right? We have romantic relationships and, and attractions stirred up, and we need to be careful evaluating those things so we're not investing in something that actually might wind up hurting us later. So, that being said, I'm going to give you a couple bad reasons why you should date. Because maybe you're thinking like, well, I don't know if I know the answer to why we can't just be friends. I also want to say this, really quickly. If you're in a relationship and you can't answer that question, I'm not saying you should break up. I'm not saying that. Sometimes you don't really even know why. You can't really answer it. But it doesn't mean that it's necessarily displeasing to the Lord. And that's why you have to evaluate you have to think about whether or not your relationship is pleasing the Lord. So I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying look at the scriptural principles and ask yourself, am I glorifying the Lord in the relationship that I'm in? If I'm always looking to take, I'm not looking to give, perhaps that's one reason I should be careful. Okay, so here are some bad reasons to date. I need to, like, roll up my sleeves for this one. Bad reasons to date, number one. I know what I'm about to say. It's going to be a little controversial, okay? So buckle up your seatbelts. Here we go. Going at hyper speed. Bad reason to date, number one. We're in love. That's what people say, right? So why should you date those people? Or why are you dating that person? Because I like him. That's the worst reason to date somebody. I'm sorry. And here's why. And maybe it's because I'm like, like, I'm a deep thinker. But let's stop for a second and ask yourselves, what does it actually mean to like somebody? What do we mean when we say that? Like, you're attracted to them? You think that they're cute? You like their personality? What do we mean when we say that we like somebody? Because in our world and in our culture, this is something that completely comes from the music that we listen to, the movies that we watch, that when you like someone, you should do something about it. And that's not necessarily the case. That is not in the Bible. That, is, that should not be in reality. When you have feelings, that doesn't necessarily mean you should do something about it, especially the Bible says the heart is wicked above all else. Who can know it? Right? Our heart is deceiving us. We should not be listening to our heart, to our feelings. We should be listening to the voice of the Lord asking what is pleasing to him. Do you realize, like, once you get married does not mean that you'll be attracted to only that person for the rest of your life. You will be attracted to a lot of people over the course of your life. What are you going to do? You can't marry them all. That's called polygamy. So what Christians know or should know, what the Bible teaches, is that actually you can have feelings, you can have attractions, and you can say, you know what, even though I feel this way, I don't have to follow my feelings. You know what that's called? It's called, one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. Self-control means even though I feel something, I don't necessarily have to follow through with it because I know that it's displeasing the Lord. Feelings is what happened to Adam and Eve. 
Eve looked at the fruit, saw that it was good for food. It was going to taste good. She desired it, right? And so she ate of it. Now, what if God says, I'm going to take away the desire to eat that fruit? Right? He could have. Yet he didn't because one of the fruits of the spirit that we are expected to have is self-control. Meaning that even though you feel a certain way, you're not going to do it because, you know, it's displeasing. So have you ever prayed, and maybe you've done this because I did this when I was in high school. Have you prayed for God to take feelings away if it wasn't his will? You're, you're like praying about relationship, Lord, and if this doesn't please you, I pray that you just make me stop being attracted to that person. And it didn't, it didn't change, right? And you're like, game on, all right. God's approval. No, that does not mean that you should just date that person. Why? Because our hearts are deceitfully wicked. All the feelings that we have, we're supposed to bring to the Lord and let him teach us what is the right thing to do. Otherwise, you would not need self-control, and you would need not uh, the fruits of the Spirit. You would not need resisting temptation because suddenly it just comes to you naturally, okay? Now, I love cannolis. I love them so much. And... Oh, man. We should have a cannoli party for an event. <laughs> okay. Talk to me afterwards. Now, I, if it's up to my feelings, I would totally have a cannoli for breakfast, cannoli for lunch, cannoli for dinner. I would have cannolis all the time. And you know what? It would not be good for me. You would have a very large Allen up here every week. You are not supposed to eat cannolis every meal. It is not good for you, okay? So what I know to be true is, let's not argue over, over cannolis. What I know to be true is that even though cannolis are a great thing, they're awesome, they have its proper place, and therefore I'm going to eat them at dessert after I've eaten all of my meals, okay? So it should be with our feelings is that just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean that it doesn't have its proper time, proper place, and proper person, we need the proper perspective, right? We need God to show us what is a, a right desire to pursue and what is the wrong desire that we should actually drop. Now, super important, and you might want to really pray and think about this one. Feelings are never a good way to make life-altering decisions immediately, right? It should not be the first factor. I'm not saying it shouldn't be a factor. You should definitely, like, be attracted to the person that you marry, I mean, imagine you're just like, well, you know, I started being biblical, gave up my feelings, and uh, even though I feel nothing towards you and I don't think you're attractive, I decided to do the godly thing and to marry you. You know, that's, that's, that is the most miserable thing. And I'm sure a woman will say that to me one day. But <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not really. But what I'm saying to do, all right, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. You have to hate yourself every now and then. So... What I'm saying is feelings can be like the last thing on your list in decision-making, right? So feelings can be a great, the Bible says you delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How do you know if, if your desires please the Lord? We talked about this at the retreat, right? Like God has to conform your desires to his. As you obey him, you follow him, he changes those desires over time. But the first thing we need to do is ask ourselves, well, does this please the Lord? Is there anything in scripture that goes against the things that I'm doing right now, regardless of how I feel? And at the end of it, once you know that you're in the word of God, 
You're surrounded by the counsel of God. You're around godly people. You've sought direction. You prayed about it. Now ask yourself, now what do you want to do? I think that's a much wiser way to take it rather than letting your feelings lead you one way and lead you another way. So here's another reason why this is so important. A relationship founded upon impulse can be just as easily dropped as fast as it was picked up. What's to say that the person who just likes you today won't like you tomorrow? If that's the only thing that's making you go into this relationship, right? I like this person today, but not really tomorrow like, like that person. It's so dangerous. And that's why we need to guard ourselves on social media, on whatever we're using. Because especially in our day and age today, guys are unfortunately not having the guts to just go up to women and actually speak to them in a respectful and polite manner. They'd much rather do the easy, cowardly thing, which is just I'm going to talk to them through messenger, liking their photos, subtly saying stuff. Listen, I believe that every woman deserves to be pursued. I think so. You have to wait. Ladies, speaking to you, you got to wait for the person who believes that you're worth pursuing. All right, moving on. So, here's the danger. The danger of this thing called infatuation, building a relationship on attraction, is that we're often looking to that person to complete us rather than God to complete us. And that's a dangerous thing. We love them. We're attracted to them. We think that this person could be the answer to the hole that's inside of our heart when that's not true. God is the answer to the hole inside of our heart. We need him to complete us. And the relationship should complement us, okay? God should complete us. Relationships should complement us. Here's, well, I only have three reasons, by the way. Here's number two. Bad reason to date number two, okay? This one's deceptive at first, but it's also bad. If I'm talking to someone and say, why do you think that you should date this person? And this person responds with bad reason number two and says, so that we grow in the Lord. In other words, what they say is, you know, when I'm around them, they just make me want to love Jesus more, okay? Like, that sounds great on the surface, but what are you subtly saying? Like, is not Jesus good enough to pursue on his own? Why do you need somebody's help to pursue him, right? Like, if you find yourself growing in the Lord because of that relationship, that's great, but that should not be the reason why you're entering a relationship. You should have all kinds of relationships, friendships with guys and girls, you should have relationships that are all pushing you towards completion in Jesus, but not looking to any person to complete you in Jesus. Uh, there's a guy named Brandon Anderson. He wrote an article. He said this quote, If Jesus isn't motivation enough to grow in maturity and pursue godliness, then you are not ready to pursue a woman. Or a man if you're a woman. Bad reason to date number three. Okay, here's another one. He or she is the only one who understands me. That's another bad reason, okay? And maybe you don't actually say that, but that's what you think. It's like, they just get it. They know. They know what it's like, right? But we should never date out of codependency. In other words, like, both of you have similar pain. Like, you got hurt. They got hurt in similar ways. You're like, yes. And when we're together, we're like, it helps us sort through our pain and suffering. That's another terrible reason to date, and here's why. Because at some point, you're going to hurt that same person. And then they're going to feel like you're another person that they cannot trust. 
Never date out of pity. Here's something that you got to be very careful of, okay? Be careful when a relationship goes too deep too fast. It's natural for you to share, you know, some secrets, some things, some deep things as you're years into your relationship, but you should never right off the bat say, like, here's my deepest, darkest secret, and you're going to share it next week, okay? When you have to watch the speed of the escalation. Are you guys touching more? Are you guys being physical more? Are you guys talking about things that you shouldn't be talking about more? Watch where the direction is because it's very hard to, once you speed things up, to slow down. That's why you need something called accountability. You just need another godly couple in your life to be able to say, like, hey, here's what we learned. Here's some mistakes we made, and here's what you should do in order to make sure that you're pleasing God in your relationship. So no matter what kind of relationship, all relationships should point to Jesus. We're going to be wrapping up here. Here's the next question. When should I date? When? Because a lot of people ask me this one, like, am I allowed to date? I'm like, 45, I think it's about time. I'm like, no, never. You're too young. You got to wait till you're 105. I won't live to be 105. Too bad. <laughs> when should I date? Well, here's a statistic I found um, through Josh McDowell. And this is just, you know, the bare facts, okay? That's actually the name of the book. Age 12, okay, here's different ages. Statistics of people that will most likely have sex before graduating high school if you start dating at a certain age. If you start dating at age 12, statistically, 91% of those uh, pre-adolescents will have sex before graduating high school. If you're age 15, that's 40%. Age 16, it's only 20% of those teenagers will have intercourse before exiting high school. So, like, if that's your goal, your goal is actually to, to wait till marriage, which is God's design. It's, it's better. It's going to be uh, much more enjoyable if you wait till that one relationship where you can be intimate and not worry about whether or not they're going to betray you or leave you. If you're willing to do that, just understand the earlier you date, the more difficult it's going to be to wait. Dating young means waiting long. Not impossible. It is not impossible. I'm not saying, like, you started dating at age 14, therefore you're going to not be able to make it till marriage. I'm just saying... Dating young means waiting long, okay? It will take a lot of self-control. So waiting for romance will actually help you to wait for sex. So if your goal is to please the Lord in your relationships, especially if you're dating, this is what I would say, okay? Not making this a rule, but the younger you are, the more careful you have to be in how physical you are because you're going to have to wait a long time, right? And if you guys, off your first date, you're already being physical, it's going to be very hard for you to stop that escalation, okay? So actually, it's a biblical principle that in marriage that you can actually be apart from one another sexually so that you can devote yourselves to prayer. And I think you can do the same thing in a dating relationship. You shouldn't be doing that in a dating relationship. But it's okay to actually be apart. Say, here's going to be a healthy separation so that we can fast before the Lord, pray before the Lord, seek the Lord so that we can have our hearts turned to him and not towards each other in an unhealthy way. Okay, Last thing I'm going to talk about tonight, and then we're going to talk about next week, part two, which is my favorite part, which is talking about how do you know who you should date, right? So if you're thinking about, like, once again, I'm not against dating, not against marriage, any of those things, obviously. But I do want to emphasize that there are certain things that we do that can be displeasing to the Lord if we're not careful. And we got to take all our relationships and bring it under the Lordship of Christ and ask, is this pleasing to him? 
last section I'm going to bring up tonight is this. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. All the Bible scholars know exactly what I'm going to talk about. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. And that is this. Do not despise the value of singleness. Singleness. Paul the Apostle writes to the Corinthian church, who was at the time a single man, believe it or not. Jesus was also a single man. Paul says this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to be without care. In other words, I want you to be without any worry here. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. What Paul is saying here is, man, it is so freeing to be able to just think about your devotion to the Lord and not look back and not think about everything else you have to take care of. Not to say that being married is worse or wrong or whatever, but Paul is saying there's actually a blessing in being single. So what everyone hears at this portion of the message is the curse of singleness. And then you're thinking about, like, who has it? Who has the disease? You know, who's going to be struck with singleness forever? You know, people are afraid of hanging around me too long because we'll be single forever, you know. But here's the thing. Singleness is a gift. And I'll tell you something that will surprise you, but it's true. All of you in high school, all of you have the gift of singleness. What? Yeah, all of you have the gift of singleness. How do I know that? Because you are now single, unless you're married and you're a teenager. I didn't know this. All of you are single. And it's a gift from God. Now, the word gift, remember, in the Greek is the word charisma. The root word of that is charis, which means grace. So just think of it as this. A gift from God is God's grace in empowering you to do what he's called you to do. So singleness is God's grace in this season of your life until you get the gift of marriage. His gift to you to devote all this time and energy to his kingdom and not worried about providing for a family. That is God's gift to you. And you can use this time by being diligent and being a good steward of it and saying, you know what? I have all this free time to devote to friendships, relationships, encouraging people, uh, going on mission trips and and working for the Lord and, and all these different things. You have freedom to do that now that you may not have that freedom Once you get married, you have to think about providing and all those other things. Like if I was married, I would not be able to travel as much as I do. I would not be able to speak as many places as as I do and all those different things. I'm not saying I want to be married. For sure I want to be married. Hello. But (laughs) until then, (laughs) AJ goes, until then, wow, it got hot in here. Man, it must be the comment up there. Whew. All right. Until then. I want to be faithful and diligent with the time that God has given me to devote to his kingdom and not be worried about those other things. So if you are worried of whether or not you have the gift of permanent singleness, I would say do not be worried. Because if it's God's gift to you, you will find a way to use it and enjoy it to his glory, okay? I mean, think about like the gift of being a musician, right? That's a gift from God, right? Like some people are musically talented, No one says, like, "Eh, I'm so amazing at singing, I hate it. 
I hate the fact that I'm such a great singer. No one says that, right? No one hates their gift. It's a gift from God. And there's legitimate, some people I know, that are single and have no desire to be married. They just don't care. Don't know why, but they just don't care. And that's fine. And that's okay. And so for us, if you're worried about it, don't worry. And here's why I say that. Here's another emphasis. Because when I was 14 and a girl said that she liked me, I felt like I had to date her just because I was like, this might be the only person that ever likes me. Right? And apparently it was true. No, I'm kidding. Oh, I need to end this message right now. Guard my tongue, Lord. Guard my tongue. Okay. Well, listen. In all seriousness, that, you can have that thought, right? Like, if I don't date this person, although I know they're not going to be pleasing the Lord, this might not be the best idea. If I don't date this person now, I'll be single for the rest of my life. There won't be another chance. And that's simply not true. But even if it was true, if you find completion in the Lord, it doesn't really matter. Legitimately, all of us should find our completion and satisfaction in Jesus so much so that we don't need anything. We don't need riches. We don't need certain relationships. We don't need success. We don't need all, any of those things. And when they happen, it's like a gift. You're like, man, God, wow, I'm going to heaven to be with you. I get to be with you for all eternity. You've given me a ministry, and you're giving me success, and you're giving me marriage. You're giving me all these different things. Then everything God gives you is truly what it's supposed to be, which is a gift. So to have that heart of thankfulness cultivated in us is something I believe the Lord desires for each and every one of us. Okay, so in the meantime, while you are single, here's what I want you to focus on, and this is the last thing I'm going to say for the evening. Focus less on who you will marry and more on if you are the, building the kind of character worthy of marriage. Focus less on the person that you will marry. Focus more on whether or not you are building the kind of character worthy of marriage. Okay, so many people get it backwards. They're not thinking about themselves like, are you a person that's worthy for the gift that God wants to give to you? That person. We should be guarding our heart. We should be living for the Lord, being in the word of God. So how is your walk with the Lord? Are you prepared? If God was to give you a great relationship right now, a person that loves Jesus, would you be able to care for that person? If we're addicted to looking at stuff on the internet, if we're addicted to certain things, then we have to ask ourselves the question, how will we lead somebody else in their purity if we are currently impure? Right? Some of us realistically may not be ready for a relationship because our heart's not right before the Lord now. Why make it more complicated? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4. Last passage I'll read, I promise. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. God has given us the power and the ability to say no to certain passions that displease him and embrace ones that do. Listen, so important. If we're not willing to say that self-control is something that we want to cultivate, if we're not willing to say like there are some desires and attractions and passions that we should not embrace, 
that we have no business telling some other people who have different sexual tastes and orientations, we have no business telling those people, hey, you should repress those desires, you shouldn't indulge in those desires, and we don't have to, right? I'm just being real. So we have to say, there's some things that I may want, but it's not pleasing to the Lord, so therefore, I'm going to do what pleases the Lord, because those that wait on the Lord are going to be able to receive that due reward. They're going to be able to be the most fulfilled in his presence, his fullness of joy. So, let's pray.